Here we are. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you can flip open, or we have it on the screen or in the handout. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city, I don't even know how to say that word, all right? The city of, <laughs> sorry God, <clears throat> hey, let's be real, all right, <laughs> Uh, sorry, God. Okay, guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from the window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to the visions and the revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to the paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, we um, thank you, God, for another day where we can gather together as a church family and worship you and open up your word and just allow your spirit to teach us. 
And so, God, we invite your spirit into this place. We pray that you fill this place, God. I pray that you give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. And God, may the words that come out of my mouth, God, that may they be of you, and may they just pierce our hearts. And then anything that I say that's not of you, that we could easily dismiss, but that what is true, God, that would shape us, God, to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so God, we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, it's Christmas time, and Christmas time, there's always a lot of pressure to share, to share things, right? To share the good stuff. You know, um, it's the time where we send out the Christmas postcard, the newsletter, and it's the time where, you know, to kind of show off our, our beautiful families, right? It doesn't matter if our families really get along. We get together, we say cheese, and then we send it out to the world, right? Say, hey, look at our awesome, loving family, you know? No matter how much drama it took just to get to that family photo, you know? Um, we feel that pressure, and, you know, on the back of the postcard, we list the highlights of, hey, you know, I had a great year this year. I went to Colombia, or I went to Mexico, and I served in Haiti, or got this job promotion. I mean, you name it, right? We feel that pressure. Uh, it's that time where we host Christmas parties. And let's, let's be honest, we kind of like to show off a little bit during our Christmas parties, right? You know, if we got that media room, we always tell people, hey, you know, this dining, whatever, come check out my media room, you know? big screen, you know, <laughs> but we like to show off a little bit. We like to flaunt, I and mean, we feel that pressure. You know, I hosted, uh, my wife and I, we hosted a young adults party at LifePoint at our house, and we do that primarily so that we clean our house. I don't typically clean um, unless I know people are coming over, right? And so you feel that pressure to like, okay, we got to get our house in, in order. Like people cannot see how we really live, you know? So you make sure you close your master bedroom. No one needs to see that disaster, right? I look in my backyard patio and my stupid dog has this whole green pasture to poop in and she decides to always poop on the concrete patio, and so, right, it's like, are you kidding me? And of course, you know, I get lazy. So after four or five days, it's like, oh, it's a landmine. <laughs> it's my wife's dog. I didn't, this is my wife's dog. Um, and then for this party, we realize, you know, our house doesn't even look like Christmas. We don't have a Christmas tree. And oh gosh, it's like 13 days till Christmas. We need to buy a Christmas tree, right? So we buy a Christmas tree, we decorate it. People come over and what do they say? Oh, you have a good house, yada, yada, yada. And we're like, thank you. You have no idea, right? You have no idea all that poop that's everywhere. But that's the pressure. I mean, can we, you know, I think we can relate with this. We feel this pressure and or delight, right, to kind of show off, to kind of make it appear like we have it all together. And let's be honest, we feel that pressure at church. I was talking to Ben Fawcett, our small groups director, and we were just talking about kind of the pressures of how, you know, what we want y'all to be doing. And we want y'all to be doing a lot of things, Right? We want y'all to evangelize at your workplace. We want y'all to evangelize to your neighbors. We want y'all to raise your kids, have thriving marriages. We want you to care about social justice and not just care about it, but be involved in everything that's wrong with this world. Uh, we want you to give. We want you to show up. We definitely don't want you to sleep while you're here. I mean, there's a lot of pressure just coming to church, right? 
just to appear like you have it all together. And I'm not going to lie to you, there's a pressure from us on staff to tell you that we have it all together. And so we say, hey, these were the lives changed at LifePoint. Hey, these were the groups that started. Hey, these were the mission trips that went on. Hey, we had 10,000 people show up for our Easter egg hunt. Yeah, <laughs> let's not talk about what happened once they showed up, right? Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, during our brainstorming session for our Christmas tree lighting, I was like, what if we had people dressed up as helicopters throwing Easter eggs out? How awesome would that be? But maybe next year, maybe next year, right? But church, you get it. You get it. There's a pressure for you, there's a pressure for us to to kind of make it appear like we have it all together. And I want to give you some good news today. I, I want to relieve this pressure from you. Because the reality is, is this. And the first point that we see in this passage is that our strengths, our accomplishments, our achievements, our nice things, our luxury items, our trips that we've done, our moral record, our moral achievements, those are not our real, that's not our real strength. Our strengths is not our strength. It's not our true source of power, of strength. It's, it's not it. You see, Paul is, is feeling this tension in this passage. See, Paul is dealing with a very kind of ragamuffin crew with the, with the Corinthians. They're not the first Corinthians. They're Corinthians with the Corinthians. They, they are a messed up bunch, okay? You read 1 Corinthians, and they are just crazy. They're, they're insane. They're, they're hooking up with everybody in the church. They even have some church members that are hooking up with their in-laws. I don't understand that, but that's what they're doing. And, and it's just crazy. And then you go to the worship services, and it's just dysfunction and and Paul is just like just trying to keep it together. But he just loves this crew through him. He just kind of puts his head down. He's like, I'm just going to keep loving, keep pointing this church to truth. Well, by the time we get to this letter in 2 Corinthians, these people are kind of at it again. And this time, they've, they've kind of gotten bored with Paul because Paul, he's, you know, he's the tried and tested leader, but he's been around for a while, right? They've, they've heard his sermons over and over again. And what happens is these kind of false teachers come. And they say, hey guys, don't listen to Paul. He's not as godly as we are. Don't listen to Paul. He doesn't know the scriptures the way we know them. Don't listen to Paul. He hasn't had the revel revelations and the visions and the dreams that we've had. We know God, right? We've seen God. We've experienced God. We're godly people. Follow us and your lives will be fine. And, and we see that. That's what's happening in this passage. This happens, this happens today. I mean, how many times do we, you know, we're going to a church or we're, hey, this is our pastor. But then all of a sudden some new guy shows up. Some spiritual guru, some spiritual wizard, and, he's, and he looks good, and he's, and he's slick, and he's clean, and he says, hey, I've had dreams, I've had visions, I know, the, I know God, I know the Greek, I know the Hebrew, right? And if you just do these seven things, if you do these eight things, then, then you will be happy and prosperous like me, and you'll be like me and have a hot wife, right? I mean, that's, that's what we see. This happens all the time in kind of like our culture today. 
And so Paul is kind of forced into this corner of saying, all right, I got to address this. This guy's undermined my authority, so he has no other choice to kind of list off his accomplishments. And boy, does he have some accomplishments. First off, as we read, he says, hey man, I'm uh, these people say they're Jewish. I'm like the Jews of Jews, okay? My whole family DNA goes straight back to Abraham, the father of the Jews. These people say that they're godly servants. Paul's like, hey, there's no one, no more of a servant than I am. And he's right. It says he was beaten with rods. It says he was whipped with a cat of nine tails five times. It says he was lost at sea for over a day. He was shipwrecked. He spent nights without sleep, right? He spent nights without food that he hungered and thirsted. He's like, guys, these people say they're servants of God. He's like, let me give you a reality check. And then in chapter 12, you can kind of see that he's uncomfortable here, and he shares that he even had a, a vision from God. He said, oh, these people have visions from God? Well, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you mine. And he's uncomfortable about it, but he, but he shares it. He says he was taken into a third heaven. And third heaven, you know, people say, oh, are there three heavens? No, it's, uh, the first heaven was typically the sky, the second heaven was the stars, and the third heaven was heaven as, as we know it. And Paul says, man, when I was taken up in there, in the body or out of the body, I don't know, I, I, I saw things, I experienced things that I, that I can't even talk about. And so here Paul is listing off his resume. He's listing off his accomplishments. He's listing off this really an amazing record of morality. But what does he say? See, he gives a shocking twist. He gives something that, that seems almost iran ironic. He says this. He says, but there's nothing to be gained by it. He says, my spiritual accomplishments, they don't really mean anything. It's pretty worthless. It's it's nothing really to boast about or brag about. Yeah, they're true, but it doesn't really mean much. Now, guys, why wouldn't Paul say that? I mean, it seems like he, that's like what we want as a Christian, right? We want people to have this passionate service. We want people to have these dreams and visions. We want these people to, you know, to know Christ, right? So why would he say that this moral record, that his resume is pretty much meaningless to talk about? Well, Paul's no dummy. He knows the gospel. And the gospel says this, that you and I are more sinful than what we want to believe. Meaning that we have all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so that when we meet God, it doesn't matter what resume we have. We say, God, these are all the things I've done. God says, are you kidding me? I ain't letting you in. You know, I, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 64. He says, our works are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. You know, I tell our students, it's like used toilet paper, right? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, God's not impressed. God's not impressed with our spiritual, moral resume. You know, when I was four or five years old, I was a pretty messed up kid. Um, and uh, I, I was potty trained. And I remember that I, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to do some potty humor here. Sorry. Um, I remember that I did a number two, okay? And uh, I did the number two, and I looked at it, and I was, I was quite impressed. I was like, dang, this thing is like this big, right? 
Um, and so I was like, Mom, you got to see this, <laughs> you know? Mom, check this out. And my mom's like, you need to flush that, you know? I was like, no, I ain't flushing this thing until Dad comes home. Dad's got to see this. So I let that thing stew in there for about an hour. And then Dad comes home. Poor dad, man. Poor dad's out there. And I, could, I just remember him. But he must have had like a, like a hard day at work or something. He comes home like, Dad, you got to see this. And I show him my prized possession, right? And he's like, oh, that's, that's great, son. You should flush that. And he walks away, you know. I was so disappointed. That was like a, a permanent scar, you know. But guys, I mean, that's, to be honest, can I just be honest, that's, when we say, God, look at me, look at all the things that I've done, that's, that's what God's thinking. God's not impressed. God's not impressed with our strengths. Our strengths don't save us. See, the beautiful thing about the gospel is, is you, when you and I face God, God's going to say, why should I let you in? And we're going to say, I don't deserve to be in. But your son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, and died the death that I should have died. His blood covers over my sins. And because I'm with him, you should let me in. <laughs> and the father says, absolutely, amen. Come on in and enjoy paradise forever. See, guys, our, our strengths and our accomplishments is not our strength. But the temptation is, is, is to talk about them. Why? Because it's safe. It's easy, right? It's easy for me to stand before you today and say, in high school, I was prom king, okay? Seriously, it was a big deal. Um, I still have the scepter, okay? This is like, I don't know, from the dollar store. It's pretty cheap, but... Uh, no, it's easy for me to share, I mean, stand up here and tell you, hey, like, I got a master's degree. Hey, I went to Haiti this summer. Hey, I've been in ministry for seven, eight years. Hey, I'm, I married a beautiful wife. I mean, that's, that's easy for me to share that. It's a lot harder for me to stand before you and say that there's been times where I've said some horrible things to my wife. It's a lot harder for me to tell you that there's been times I've lied to her straight in her face. It's a lot harder for me to tell you that there's been things that I've looked at that I should have never looked at, and things I've thought about that I should have never thought about. It's a lot harder for me to tell you there's been times I've come up here on the pulpit and told all y'all how to live your life, and my personal life has been a mess. It's a lot harder for me to tell you that there's times where I say, hey, find your identity in Christ, don't find it in your job, don't find it in your kids, and yet... When y'all don't show up to church, I feel like I feel like a failure. Right? Like those are hard things to talk about. Those are hard things to share. And we don't like talking about those things. And yet, that's what Paul does. Paul says, quit boasting about your strengths. Paul says, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses. I would rather share my weaknesses. And the Christian, guys, what, we, what God's calling us to do this Christmas season is not be bragging about our amazing accomplishments, but rather just being real and being transparent with our weaknesses. 
and saying to our friends and saying to our loved ones and saying to our close associates, the, the people we walk with life with, and saying, just letting down your mask and saying, this is who I am. This is the good, this is the bad, and this is the ugly. What makes Paul different from these leaders and what's going to make you different from everyone else is not that you brag about your achievements, but that you're open and honest about your failures. And Paul does this. He models this for us. You know, he talks about this thorn in the flesh. He says, hey, I have weaknesses. I'd rather talk about these weaknesses, and my weakness is this thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh is. We're not quite sure, and people are kind of split on what it could be. It could be that Paul's thorn in the flesh was like a physical ailment. Maybe he was blind. Maybe he, um, he I don't know, he couldn't walk. I, we, maybe it was that. Maybe it was an emotional ailment. Maybe he struggled with depression or anxiety that just never went away. Maybe it was a habitual kind of vice or a temptation of lust, of greed, of envy, that just always kind of haunted him, always kind of hovered around him. We don't know. But what he says is, guys, yeah, I got the achievements, but I'm weak. I'm not strong. I struggle. I have flaws. I have shortcomings that, that, that don't ever leave me. Now, church, it's hard to do. It's hard to be honest. It's hard to get real, right? But God's calling you to. God says there's freedom when, we, when we're transparent. There's freedom when we open up. There's freedom when we admit that we're weak. Um, this last year in February, I joined a men's kind of recovery accountability group. And I, listen, I'm, I'm not any different from y'all. If someone cuts me off, I want to tell them they're number one, okay? I mean... I'm no different from any of y'all. I got my issues, and I got my vices, and I came to this point um, where I realized, like, I had to work on some of this stuff. Otherwise, I'm not going to be the pastor God calls me to be. I'm not going to be the husband God calls me to be. And so I joined this group, and I love it, because every week we get around, and we just talk about what's going good, but then we share the ugly parts, too. And I'll never forget, my first week at this group, they played this video and it's just, a, it's a powerful video of people who've decided to let the mask down and be real with what's going on and transparent. So I, I want you to watch this video. Check it out. Hi, I'm Brandy. Hi, my name is Andrew. My name is Lindsay. Hi, I'm Rob. I have a new life in Christ. I have a new life in Christ. And I'm recovering from alcoholism. My own marital infidelity. Anxiety. Anger. Overspending. Shame from my divorce. Addiction to pornography. Codependency. And I'm recovering from homosexuality. Past sexual abuse. And fear of abandonment. Hi, my name is Scott. My name is Teresa. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from depression. Bitterness from unforgiveness. Guilt and shame from past abortion. Disordered eating. Drug addiction. Lust. Pride. Finding my significance and what I think people think of me. Overeating. Insecurity. Selfishness. Not trusting God. And shame. Before I came to recovery, my life was hopeless. Full of secrets. Controlled by bitterness and anger. It was a lie. My life was defined by my sin. My marriage was falling apart. I was tired. 
exhausted from losing the battle against my struggle with sin. My life was a disaster. Unmanageable. Full of chaos. Isolated. Self-centered. And <laughs> had lost my way. I just didn't like the way that God had made me. Really just struggled with what people thought about me. My life is all about controlling others so that I couldn't be rejected. I sought pleasure in all the things that the world had to offer, uh, and uh, all those things left me empty. Before I came to recovery, my life was unmanageable and out of control. It was a bottle of insecurity. Filled with frustration, anger, and bitterness towards my husband. Way too focused on me, what I want, and what I think. I wasn't ready to give up and surrender what I'd worked so hard to control. And I couldn't figure out why I wasn't finding any healing. My first night at recovery, I felt like I was unredeemable. I thought, how is this gonna help me? No one could really understand how I felt. I'm terrified that I'd have to figure out how to live life sober. Completely defeated. I didn't want to see anybody, talk to anybody, have anybody acknowledge I was here. I wanted it to end really quickly. I felt weak, numb, dirty. Like I had a spotlight on me. But I was amazed by everyone's courage. I felt a glimmer of hope because I knew I was among some other broken people. And I didn't have to hide my junk any longer. I was desperate for help. I didn't care what people thought anymore. I just wanted to be well. I shared things that I thought I would never tell anybody. I felt encouragement like there was hope. Relieved. I started to believe. I started to believe a new life was possible. When I heard story after story after story of how Christ showed up and changed everything. When I actually was able to forgive my husband. When I realized I was not alone in my struggles. But when I could see that my sin could be forgiven. Well, when I heard about God's grace. I started to believe that a new life was possible. When I acted in obedience to Christ and shared what had been done to me. When I saw God changing the lives of the other women in the group. When I realized how much I'd allowed my sin to define every single decision and behavior in my life. When I realized that God loved me no matter what I had done. People didn't run screaming from the room. They put their arm around me and they walked with me through that part of the journey. When I heard that it wasn't about what I had done, but what Christ had done for me. When I realized that I didn't have to gain the approval of anyone, that God had already chosen me and he wasn't unaware of my struggles or my past. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. I now have joy. My life is now free from self-harm, peaceful, filled with hope. And meaningful. And I'm able to share that with people. Because of Christ, my life is now completely changed. Just because I know that God loves me regardless of what I do. My marriage is thriving. My life is no longer determined by circumstances. I'm free from the pain of the past. Free of the bondage of my addiction. I find my joy and my worth in Jesus Christ. There are times when I still struggle, but I have a group of men behind me that spur me on and encourage me. If I could tell you one thing. One thing. One thing. If I could tell you one thing tonight, it would be this. You are not alone. God loves you and he has plans for you. You haven't done anything that God cannot forgive. And that if he could save a wretch like me, he can save you too. Don't let fear hold you back from experiencing the freedom that Christ has for you. This is a safe place to work through the pain of your past. You're in the right place. And I'm so excited for you. Don't give up. Be here every time you can. It is worth your time. And be fully committed. His grace is sufficient. So bring him all of your struggles. There's recovery in Christ when life is broken because you matter to God. God loves you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that powerful? When we just stop pretending, stop wearing the mask, and just say, yeah, and I struggle with porn, or yeah, I'm depressed, or yeah, I'm sick, and I'm bitter that God hasn't healed me. I mean, isn't that freeing? My dad will always say this, people don't relate with strengths, but people relate with weaknesses. And that's absolutely true. 
You know, we could go on and on about how great we are, and like no one listens, you know, like it doesn't really do anything, but the moment you say, this is my struggle, everyone just shuts up and listens. And then people start saying, yeah, that's my story too. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. And we start to be able to relate. But church, it's hard. Being weak is hard. Being in a position of, that's not in a, a, of not being strong is hard. And so we say, God, take it away. And we plead with God. We say, God, please take away this temptation. God, please cure me of this cancer, cure me of this sickness. God, please restore my marriage. God, please help and fix my kid. And we plead and we plead and we plead. And yet, God doesn't take it away. Why not? Why does God allow us to be weak? Why doesn't he just make us strong just like that? Why doesn't he make everything just okay just like that? He does it because, see, God uses our weakness to humble us. God uses our thorns. God uses our struggles. God uses our sickness. God uses our temptations and our vices to humble us, to get to a place of fully depending upon God. In verse, chapter 12, verse 7, uh, Paul says this. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, God gave me this thorn. Paul said, man, if I just ex- had this amazing revelation I and, and didn't have this thorn in my flesh, I would have been puffed up and arrogant just like any other leader in my time. See, church, this isn't necessarily like a fun truth, but it's true. God allows weakness in our life so that we can trust him. Church, I've been in ministry for seven, eight years. I've never seen anyone walk through these doors and be like, pastor, pastor, please pray for me. I just got a raise, right? Oh, pastor, pastor, please pray for me. My marriage is as, be- as, as good as it's ever been, right? Pastor, pastor, please pray for me. I just moved into this amazing house. Like, no one does that. <laughs> I challenge you to, though, okay? I challenge you too. Someone did after the first service. All right. Um, what do we do? We come to church when we're weak. We go to the counselor when we're weak. We, we, we seek help when we understand that we need help. And God says, I love you so much that I'm going to keep you weak. I'm not going to take away the lust and that temptation because I want you to depend upon me. I'm not going to cure the, the cancer that you want to be cured because I want you to depend upon me. I'm not going to fix your kids and your families right now because I want you to depend and to cling and to humble yourself and recognize that I'm the only one who can fix this. And so God uses our weakness to humble us, but as you trust him, as you cling, and as you depend, guess what happens? people will start to see Christ's power working within you. You see, as we trust God in our weakness, it's our weakness that will point other people to Christ's redemptive power. And they're going to say, I see that you have cancer. Or I see you're going through the surgery, yet you're not bitter. You haven't lost hope. I see see that your marriage is struggling, and yet you're not bitter, and that you're still serving and being gracious. 
And as you open about the weaknesses, people will be able to see God's fingerprints in shaping your, your story. Um, I, I want to be very transparent with you. The first six, about the first six months of my marriage with my wife, Sarah, was really hard. Um, it was close to a living hell, to be honest, for both of us, mostly my fault. And we got in these epic, heated arguments, like almost every big day. We got in one on our honeymoon. We got in one on Thanksgiving. We got in one, I think we got in one on Christmas. We got in one on New Year's Eve while the clock strikes midnight. We got in one on her birthday. And we got on one on Valentine's Day. And we both... You know, we got married because we wanted to have a companion in our life, and we both just felt really utterly alone. And both were like, what did we do, right? Like, why did we get ourselves into this mess? And, and as I look back on that time, um, you know, I would never want to live through that again. But what I'm glad it happened because it forced me to really humble myself and to really see that, man, there's a lot of issues in my life that are contributing to this mess. There's a lot of things in my life that are, that are hurting the wife that I've committed my life to, the, the love of my life. And I remember those times where it was like, all right, God, it's just you and me. <laughs> it's just you and me, and you're the only one that can fix this. And it's my wife was like, all right, God, it's only you and me. You're the only one that can fix this. And I stand before you today still a married man. I'm not saying we have the perfect marriage. We have a long, long way to go. But I stand before you today married simply because of Christ's power and his grace working in our marriage. And what I mean by that is this, is, you know, when you see Christ loving you despite your flaws, despite your weaknesses, and you see Christ staying for you and being committed to you, and seeking your prosperity, even when you don't even ask for it or deserve it, it melts your heart. And then you can go into your marriage, and you can go into your families, and you can go into your workplaces or the, the areas of weakness, and you say, you know what? I'm going to stick this out because my Savior stuck it out for me. And as you do that, people will see God's fingerprints in your story. People will see that. And so God allows weakness to humble us. God allows weakness as we share it for people to, to see God's glory, right? If we talk about our strengths, we get the glory. But we talk about our weaknesses, and yet we're, we've been, you know, we're surviving and we're thriving. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. But the last thing about why God allows weakness is because it's our weakness it's our weakness that allows us to receive the love of Christ. It's our weakness that allows us to receive the undeserved kindness, the grace of God. See, Paul says this. As he, says, he says, his grace is sufficient for us. He says, when you're weak, we can receive grace. But church, can, can we be honest again? We hear this all the time. God loves you. God yearns to be with you. God longs for you. God waits for you. God knows you. 
He's for you. He's not against you. And, and can we be honest? We have a hard time really believing that. I do. <laughs> you know? Because we think about our weaknesses. And we think about the times where we said we'd honor God and then we dishonor him. And we think about the things we've said to our wives and the, the, the things we've said to other people and living a, a secret life. And we think about our, our poor prayer life and our inconsistent discipleship. And we think about our flaws and we think God just must be disappointed in me, right? God just must be looking down on me and just always shaking his head. Oh, you're, you're praying to me again? Oh, it's been, a, it's been a couple weeks, right? I mean, that's... I think that's how we view God. But church, that is not the God of the Bible. And that is not the God that I know. And that is not the God that I have experienced. The God of the Bible, the God of the heavens and the earth, this God knows everything about you. He knows every dark secret you've ever kept. He's seen every flaw you've ever committed. He's seen your whole life story, and he's seen your poor prayer life, and he's seen your inconsistent walk, and he says this. He says, I dare you. I dare you to trust me, that I love you for who you are and not as you should be because you're never, ever going to be as you should be. Do you believe that? How could God love us like that? How do we know? Church, just look to the cross. Remember the meaning of Christmas. We have a God, Jesus Christ, who is in a position of strength, who is in a position of honor, who is in a position of glory. And Paul says that he made himself nothing, that he made himself a slave, a servant, that he made himself weak. And he heard our cries, and he heard our despair, and instead of running away from us, he ran to us, and he grabbed us by the hand. He said, We're gonna, I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to take on your hardship. I'm going to take on your pain. I'm going to take on your sorrow. Our Savior was called the man of sorrows. And he became weak, and his weakness drove him to the cross where he took on our weakness. He took on our shame. He took on our guilt. He took on our failures and our wrath. He took it on us. Why not? Because we were strong, beautiful people. He took on our weakness to make us strong, to make us beautiful people, to make us to be able to experience the beautiful grace, the beautiful undeserved love that God wants to pour out upon every single person in this room right now. And in order to receive that, you just have to be weak. You can't come to God strong. I love this hymn. It says, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, and you stand in him alone, gloriously complete. We have a Savior who wants to take on our weakness, who's, and, he, and as you pour out your weakness, that's when you'll be strong. Church, this Christmas season, share your weakness. Share your flops. Share your failures. 
maybe not around the dinner table. Be wise about it, okay? But you point people to the sustainer and the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who truly is strong, Jesus Christ. Amen? Love you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, God, we love you. <laughs> God, we love you because you loved us. And God, I know many of us in here, God, we, just, we, just, we still have a hard time believing, God, that you can love us in our weakness, that you can love us in our vices, that you can love us in our calamities, in our distress, in our chaos. And yet, God, the beautiful thing about the Bible and the gospel is that you do. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that that God, we could just cry out right now. If there's anyone in here who's just tired of being strong, of tired of, of pretending, of tired of wearing that mask, of tired of feeling the pressure of just trying to have it all together, that they would just cry out to you right now and say, God, I don't have it together. Say, God, I've sinned. I've fallen short. I'm weak. And if that's you in this room, I want to give you good news because the good news is this, is that Jesus died for your weakness. And Paul says in Romans 10 that anyone who believes that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you believe it in your heart and confess it with your lips, you will be saved. Scripture says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so if you want rest now and you want eternal rest and eternal peace, would you cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you. For the first time, I trust you. And if you did that, could you just write on a connection card circling salvation or circle, write a big letter A and circle it? And we would love, love, love just to connect with you and point you to what that commitment means. God, we love you. And we thank you, God, that you love a ragamuffin crew like us, that you take our weakness on us, Lord so that we could be strong in you. Help us to share that good news this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.